getting back. I'm dwindle, as I said, and I'm, I'm filling in for three weeks. I, last week, we started a series called The Voice in My Head, and... <clears throat> Last week, we looked at the voice of the master, talking about Jesus and how he speaks to us and what, how we can trust the voice of Jesus. Last week, we looked at how when the master speaks, you can trust the message. You can trust the messenger. You can even trust the method that he gives because Jesus is faithful. He is always truthful. He never lies, and he's always going to do what's best for us, tell us what's best for us. So you can trust the voice of the master Jesus. This week, we're going to talk about the voice of the enemy, Satan. And we're going to look at that and talk about how he operates. And we're really the theme of it is just that he's a liar. If you hadn't figured that out yet, Jesus, I'm Jesus, sorry. Forgive me, Lord. Satan is a liar. I guess that's all you need to know. Let's every head bow. Every, no, I'm kidding. Um, I need some sleep, by the way, so that might be a good idea. I had two and a half hours sleep maybe last night. But, um, Anyway, so I'm going to try to keep my mind going. I'm going to try to keep y'all awake by keeping myself awake. And, and so y'all don't go to sleep because if I see you go to sleep, I'm just going to curl up back here and go to sleep myself. But we're going to talk about the voice of the enemy. Because what's going on, and the premise of this series is that we have a lot of voices coming into our heads on a regular basis. We're hearing the voice. We talked about this last week, but we're hearing voices from the the entertainment industry, through the TV and movies and music that we listen to. We're, we're hearing voices from our politicians telling us all kind of things. And as I told you last week, two different politicians on totally separate sides of an issue will use scripture to say that they're doing the right thing. And it gets confusing. We're hearing voices all over social media. Matter of fact, those are some of the voices that drive me the, the, the craziest. But we're always, we're, there's so many voices coming into our heads telling us what we should and shouldn't believe, what we we should and should it do. And it gets confusing sometimes. So this series, we're looking at the voice in my head and we're talking about some of those voices and how to bring them together so that we can find truth. And so last week we saw that Jesus is truth. Everything he says is true. This week we're going to look at Satan and everything he says is a lie. And then next week we're going to bring it together as we talk about the voice of wisdom and how to put it all together and use it in our lives in a practical way. Um, When I was a kid, I had a best friend, and he spent a lot of time with me. We played outside together all the time. He spent the night at my house many times. He ate dinner at our table a lot of times. He went on vacation with us. He used to go with us to the store, to restaurants, and whatever we were doing. He was right there with us. His name was Hooford, and he was a really, really good friend. He was always there, and my, my mom was very tolerant of, of Hooford. My mom actually, she was like encouraging with me about my friend. My dad hated him. My dad wanted Hooford gone. He didn't want Hooford in the house. He didn't want Hooford talked about. He didn't want Hooford in the car. But as many of you men know, when mama says it's okay, we just grit our teeth and go. I'm the youngest of four, so by the time I came along, and, and, and they weren't expecting me five years after the one before me, I took away her baby spot. She still hates me for that. And my dad had lightened up a lot, but he still hated Hooford. He could not stand Hooford. He didn't want me talking about Hooford. He didn't want me inviting Hooford in, but Hooford was there. And I had a blast with Hooford. 
I tried to find some pictures of him from when we were kids, but the only ones I've got are somewhere in boxes of stuff with my old pictures. I looked on my computer, and I didn't have any from when I was a kid. I only had some from when I was a teenager and adult because we still get together every once in a while. I found this one of Hooford riding with me in my dad's, what we call my dad's yellow car. This is a car my dad built in 1969. It's just pieced together all kind of different things, and it would fly. Oh, I love that car. We rebuilt it when I was in ninth grade, and then in, in high school, I used to go get it all the time and drive it around town and go pick up the cheerleaders and give them a ride home. And, and that's the only way they would talk to me is if I was in my daddy's yellow car. But, but I had fun doing it. And, and, I, and Hooford was right there in the, middle of the, in the middle seat there. He was with us, and, and we used to go riding around together all the time. I got another picture of Hooford actually in the car pretending to drive it. He wasn't allowed to drive it. My dad wouldn't let him drive it, but I, I let him get in there and pretend, and then I took the picture so that I could blackmail him in case I needed to if he got in trouble sometime. Or if I got in trouble, I'd make him take the blame, and if he didn't take the blame, then I would tell Dad that he drove his car. So I took that picture of him driving. Then here a few years ago, I was working down in Hernando, Mississippi, and one day Hooford just came by my work and came in my office, so we sat down and took a picture together because we hadn't seen each other in a while, so we did a selfie. And Hooford was there with me and spent the day with me at work, and it was so much fun. And then I was in Monterey, Mexico here a couple of years ago, and I was at a restaurant there in Monterey, and all of a sudden I looked up, and there's Hooford in the same restaurant. We didn't even know we were both there. So we got over and took a picture on the patio together again, another selfie together. Hooford was such a good friend. Now, some of you might know him by his, his work name. Uh, he, now he goes by the name John Cena, because uh, you can't see me. But only a few people will get that, but those wrestling fans will. Um, but, if you haven't figured it out yet, most people can't see Hooford. He's what some people like to call imaginary or invisible. But when I was a kid, and as a teenager and adult, he wasn't really there. I just did it for fun, just to mess with people. Like those last two pictures I showed, I really did post those on social media and say, hey, Hooford came to visit me uh, because it's just fun messing with my brothers and sisters and, and people that remember this. But when I was a kid, I made Hooford real. Matter of fact, so much so that, that my dad wanted to take his belt off many, many times because of Hooford. And he wasn't going to spank Hooford. He was going to spank me. Because of things Hooford did. We were one time driving down the road there on Blocker Street right in front of here in Olive Branch, right in front of what's now the intermediate school. It was the high school then. We could come up to the four-way stop, and my dad says, Dwindle, you need to shut your door. It's not shut good. So I opened the door and opened it up real wide and then slammed it shut. My dad took off through the stop sign, took a left, and we started going down toward what we now know as Old Town. Back then, it was just Olive Branch. And... Uh, as we started going down the road, all of a sudden, I started pitching a fit. Stop the car. Stop the car. My dad's like, what is wrong with you? I said, when I opened the door, Hooford fell out. <laughs> my mom made my dad stop the car. I opened the door, and Hooford ran and jumped in the back seat, and then we went on into town. My mama was a good woman. We, uh, we went down one time, just my mom and I went into Harrison's department store in old, what's now Old Town. It was, our, it was our one store we had in Olive Branch where you could go and buy clothing and back then. And 
What they had at Harrison's is there was, when you walk into the, if you're walking into the store, there's this black mat right outside the entrance door. And when you step on that mat, that door would open up. It was like magic. I loved it. And we would go, that's one of my favorite things when I was a kid is going to Harrison's and jumping up on the mat and letting the door open. And we'd walk in. And then if you wanted to leave the store, the door over here had a mat going out. And when you step on it, the door opened to let you out of the store. And I thought that was the coolest thing, but one day my mom and I went in there, we stepped on the mat, we walked in the store, and I turned around and looked, and Hooford was locked outside. So what did my mom do? She walked to the exit door, stepped on the mat, goes outside, walks around, steps on the mat, and does this to let Hooford in. And then she came in with him. Some of y'all would have hated my mama. <laughs> my dad was pretty aggravated with her at times. One time I went to church, we went to, when I was a little kid, we went to Fairhaven Baptist Church, which is just right up the road here, on old, just off old 78 up here, and uh, I walked in, I was the first one in my Sunday school class, they, we sat around tables, and I sat down at the table, and Hooford sat down right next to me, a couple of minutes later, Greg Cox, who's one of my best friends at the time, came and sat down right next to me, and I, I <clears throat> you don't sit on Hooford, and we got in a fight, now that time, my dad decided because I hit somebody over Hooford that he was going to make contact with me with this leather strap he used to like to wear around his, his waist. And that wasn't fun. He didn't, take my, he didn't believe me that time that Hooford was doing it. But here's the deal. Because I allowed myself to believe that Hooford was real and because I acted as if Hooford were real. Hooford became a part of our life. Now, this didn't go on for years. This was just for a little period of time. But then over time, it became a joke for our family, and so I'd bring him up again. And, but because I made him real in my life, because I pretended he was real, he actually became a part of my life. And here's the thing with Satan and his lies. When Satan introduces lies into your life, when you start to believe them, then it affects your life. If you believe a lie is true, even if it's a lie, it affects how you respond to it. If someone were to tell you that somebody, buried, that somebody hid a million dollars inside the walls of your home, now if you think they're just stupid, you're not going to do a thing. But if you seriously believe it, you're going to start knocking some holes in the wall. You're going to start looking. If you really believe it, you're going to do something about it. And that's how a lie works. When a lie is received and it's believed, then it becomes a part of our life. In this book here, Pastor Troy did a series on this. I started reading it earlier this year. Craig Rochelle wrote it, the Winning the War in Your Mind. And it, it, it hit me hard. It impacted me. And I was talking about it to our men's group one time because of, of some of the things that God was telling me through this book. And uh, Pastor Troy ended up doing a series on it. And it, it was a great series. If you haven't seen it, you ought to go look it up online and listen to it. It's just a four-message series, Winning the War in Your Mind. But in this book, Craig Rochelle says this. He says, a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. A lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. Just like I was talking about with finding that money. If you really believe it, you're going to do something about it. Lies make a difference in our life. 
We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5 today as our primary passage, but we're going to look at several of them, several different passages. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter is speaking here, and he, and he says this, starting in verse 6. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Understand in due time. Our time and God's time is not always the same. Sometimes it takes a little while to get the answer. But he's going to take care of it in his timing. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Folks, we live in a world that's full of anxiety. I don't know about you. Maybe all of you just have no problems whatsoever, and you're always happy and thinking good thoughts. I do too. I'm I'm just the most joyful person you've ever met. I never have any doubts or any sadness in my life. Wait, was that a lie? Yeah, probably so. Um, My wife, I know, is is shaking her head. Um, But we have a lot of anxiety in our lives today. We talk about it a lot, and it becomes a real thing. And when I was younger, I thought that was ridiculous. I thought my, my thing was, get over it. You're depressed, get over it. You're anxious, get over it. And I thought that was the answer, but turns out it's not always that easy. And I found that out as I got a little older and started dealing with some things that I'd never dealt with before. And then, but what he says in this passage is cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We talked about Jesus last week, and this is the thing. You can take every concern, every worry, every fear, every doubt, every problem in your life, and you can take it to Jesus, and you can cast it on him for him to help you find a solution because why? He actually cares for you. He cares about you as a person. And he wants what's best for your life. And we're going to see that more in just a minute. And then he goes on to say, because he just talked about how you could cast everything on Jesus because he cares for you. And then look at what he says in verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. I want you to understand today First of all, that when we're talking about Satan, that he is your enemy. People today want to talk about Satan like he's the cool guy. Man, he's so much fun. Yeah, I'm, I, I mean, I see people post online how they can't wait someday to be in hell and they're going to party. Yeah, I know I'm going to hell, but I'm going to party with everybody. No, you're not. You're going to suffer. Because the worst thing about hell, as I told you last week, the worst thing about hell is not even the fire and the torture and the pain. The worst thing about hell is that God's not there. So there's no peace. There's no joy. There's no love. It's the worst place you can imagine because God's not there. And Satan wants wants you to believe that he's the cool guy. But you know who he is? He's, 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 in the, he's that cool guy in all the movies that everybody just loves because he's popular and everybody thinks he's so cool. And, and even the dorky little kid that's getting picked on thinks he's cool. But then behind the scenes, he's the cool guy that's planning stuff behind their back to cause them problems, to cause them to fail. And Satan wants you to believe that he's your friend as he feeds you these lies that sound so real. But in reality, he's just trying to tear you down slowly and methodically. And we're going to see that here in just a second. What did he say? He said, he said, he, the devil prowls around, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. 1 Peter 5, 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. How does a lion work? It's real simple. 
Lions are not the fastest cats out there. They're very powerful. But lions, what they do is they lie in wait and they stalk their prey. They watch them for a while and then what they do is they wait until they see one of the, one of the animals that they're wanting to attack. They wait until there's one that gets separated from the rest of the herd. Or they wait until one of them gets hurt and can't go as fast. Or they wait until one of them is sick and can't move as well. Or whatever it is, they look for a weakness. And then they jump in, they pounce, and they attack. And they begin to rip away the flesh. And then what, and, and the way it works is animal, the, the lions travel in what's called a pride. It's a group of lions. And it's the female lion that actually goes out and does the hunting for food. She's the one that actually kills the food. The male lion is strong and powerful, but he's there for protection. It's the female lion that he compares to Satan. Uh, y'all take that for what it's worth. Uh, I'm playing. I'm playing. I love, I, I, I think you women are awesome. But, you know, we men get picked on a lot, so I get to pick on y'all a little bit. But he does. He, I actually years ago wrote a country song called Lucy. And it was, I loved it. I never did like do anything with it. It's just my family's heard it and a few friends, but I loved it. But the, the line in it said, you told me that your name was Lucy. You never said your middle name was Fur. Um, so y'all figure it out. And this verse backs me up. But no, the lion will sit there and wait, stalking their prey and then attacking when they're at their weakest moment. We see this in the story of Jesus when he went out to the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days. And after 40 days of no food, when he's at his absolute weakest as a human being, as a man, he's weak physically. That's when Satan comes in and tempts him. And what did Jesus do? He just came up with scripture because he knew the word of God. And even in his weakest state, he was able to stand up against Satan while he was being attacked in his weakest state. But that's when Satan attacks is when you're at your weakest and he's very patient. See, I, we talk about the lion here, but I, I know about another animal that also does something similar that I think is very, very similar to how Satan acts, and that's the Komodo dragon. Now, if you don't know much about the Komodo dragon, they're, they're, they're just such lovely creatures. Look, he looks so friendly. He's not. <laughs> Matter of fact, Komodo dragons, um, they're very large lizards. They are... They're, not known for their speed, but they actually can run up to 13 miles an hour for a very short burst. But the deal is, like, crocodiles can do the same thing. But the Komodo dragon doesn't use his speed in order to catch his prey. Instead, what the Komodo dragon does is they, he also stalks his prey. And he waits for just the right moment, and then he goes up and bites them. He doesn't have a very powerful bite, but he has very, very sharp teeth. And so he goes in and he rips their skin. He rips their flesh. And then while he's doing that, he shoots venom into that wound. And that venom then starts to go through the veins of that, pre of, of that prey. And it causes paralysis. And they get paralyzed. Whoever it is gets paralyzed. And, and the Komodo dragon sometimes will keep biting if they can. But sometimes they just sit back and wait until the other animal is paralyzed completely and can't move. And then they go in and they begin to eat and have their dinner. I think this is how Satan works. He begins, he comes in and he feeds you a lie and he puts that into your mind and it begins to get into your system and then you begin to believe it a little more and a little more and a little more until it becomes a part of your life 
and it seems normal. He's been doing that with our nation for years now. He's been building up lies until what at one time was a known sin is now acceptable. And people rejoice over it. And I could name several things that fit that category. Why? Because Satan has slowly and methodically put his venom into our society and caused people to believe lies until they're so paralyzed with it that they don't even see the truth and they're being devoured by the enemy. That's what he does. He is your enemy. Jesus compared himself to Satan, and we saw that last week, that this is the opposite of Satan. But in John 10, 10, he said this. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. He's talking about Satan here, and he says, the thief is coming to steal from you. He's coming to kill you. He's coming to destroy you. That's his whole goal. That's his plan. He may look like a friend in the beginning. He may look nice. He may sound nice. He may seem like a great guy to hang out with. But he's behind the scenes planning to steal from you. He's behind the scenes planning to kill you. He's behind the scenes planning to destroy your life. And in comparison, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The New King James says, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. What Jesus is saying, Satan wants to take your life. I want to give you life. See, we, we, we bought into the lie. A lot of people have bought into the lie today that if you're a Christian, then your life is boring. Well, if you believe that, we've never hung out. And some of you have, and some of you still think I'm boring. I don't care. I'm telling you I'm not. <laughs> but the, the deal is we believe, a lot of people believe as Christians that our life should be boring, and we can't do anything. We can't have any fun. No, Jesus says Satan is trying to make it seem like fun while he's taking your life. I'm telling you, I've come that you can have the fullest life possible, and that's not boring. That's full of joy. That's full of, that's full of, full of peace. It's full of forgiveness. An abundant life that he promises. Satan is your enemy. Not only is he your enemy, but understand that he is a liar. I know we've talked primarily about him being a liar, but I want you to get that point in your head. Satan is a liar. If you don't come away from anything else today, if you don't get anything else out of what I'm saying today, understand Satan is a liar. It's who he is. Last week we looked at the character of Jesus. He is trustworthy. He is faithful because that's his character. That's who he is. He can't get away from it. Satan is a liar and he can't get away from it. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus is being challenged by a group of religious leaders who are they're calling him, they're, they're saying that he is um, that he's He's possessed of a demon, or they're saying that he's a liar. They're saying that he doesn't even believe in God, and they're saying all kinds of things trying to challenge him. And he says this to those religious leaders, those churchgoers of that day. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
He says to this group of religious leaders, you are of your father the devil. I want you all to understand this is not really part of the sermon necessarily, but it's here in this verse. I want you to understand it. Not everyone, not all people are children of God. We are all creations of God. We are all made in his image, and he loves everyone. And it's his desire that everyone, even the most evil person you can think of, even your mother-in-law, he wants her to be saved. Well, for some of you, y'all are happy about that, but others are like, I don't know about that. She's pretty mean. But I'm telling you, and I heard Maria say, yeah, she is. Um, <laughs> but... He loves everyone, and he created everyone in his image. But not everyone is a child of God. There's a difference in being his creation and being his child. To become a child of God, you must be adopted into his family through salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ. And apart from that, you're not a child of God. He says to these religious leaders, you're of your father the devil. We must have a relationship with Jesus Christ if we want to be a child of God. Of the king. And then he says that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. Go back to the beginning when Adam and Eve were in the garden, and God says, You can't eat from that tree. On the day you eat of that tree, you'll surely die. Satan came in and tried to mess with them and say, Did he really say that? Is that really what he meant? And here's the thing a lot of people like to get upset and say, Well, God didn't tell the truth because they didn't die that day. But here's the deal the day they disobeyed God, Sin entered the world. The wages of sin is death. There was no death in the world until sin entered it. So on that day, death became a part of our lives. Not only that, there was a spiritual separation between them and God. God used to come down and walk with them in the cool of the day. That ended. There was a spiritual separation now between the God and man. Spiritual death took place that day. And eventually Adam and Eve did die physically because of that sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Romans. And he's saying that he was a murderer from the beginning because he introduced death to all of humanity by introducing sin to all of humanity. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Satan is a liar. He cannot tell the truth. When he lies, he speaks his native language. I, I like this, that phrasing. He speak, when he lies, he speaks his native language. That's his language. That's the one he's most comfortable with. That's the one he grew up with. That's the one he's able to use better than any other. Most of you, a lot of you know that I speak Spanish. Um, I learned it when I was almost 40 years old, and it was hard. But I love being able to do it. When I, now I don't use it as much as I used to, so sometimes I have trouble. Last year, I was in Dominican Republic, and in order to come back for work, I was there for work, and when I was needing to come back, I had to go get a COVID test. So I went to a little clinic there, and I walked in, and I started talking to the lady at the counter, and I tried to, I was speaking Spanish, and I was, oh, I sounded like a two-year-old. It was terrible. I couldn't think of anything. All of my Spanish just went out, out of my head. So she started speaking broken English, and so we communicated through the, her broken English and, and me trying to act like I had an accent. And then... Um, I don't know why I do that, but I, I do. And then 
The doctor came out a minute later and wanted to ask me some questions, and he started, and when he came out, I started speaking Spanish to him, and he said, oh, you speak Spanish. And I said, depende el momento. I, I said, it depends on the moment. And the lady at the counter go, see, sí. <laughs> because she had just heard me speak terrible Spanish. A veces yo puedo hablar muy bien, a veces para nada. Sometimes I can speak okay. Sometimes I'm terrible. And I don't understand it. I go and, and I speak to people in other countries, and they tell me I speak very well. And then all of a sudden I speak to somebody that I know, and they're like, dude, did you just started learning this? Well, yeah, I'm only 30. I learned when I was 40. Um, but the reason I struggle with Spanish sometimes is because it's not my native language. Now, I may struggle with proper English sometimes, but I don't struggle with English. I can communicate much better in English than I can in Spanish. I've preached many times in Spanish. Haven't done it in years. That was very nerve-wracking because I was worried I was going to say the wrong thing because you can just put, get one letter wrong, and it changes the whole meaning of the word. I told a lady one time that this guy was going to come back in a few years and see if she was married, and I meant to say if she's tired because there's only one letter difference between casado and... Yeah, it's like tired and married. Move one letter, and they're the same. And if you've ever been married, you know they're pretty close to the same. Oh, no, I'm playing. Y'all, I do joke too much, I know. But it's, marriage is a great thing. I love my wife, and, and I love being married, but sometimes you're tired. But when he speaks his native language, you know what he's speaking? Lies. When he speaks the language he's most comfortable with, it's lies. Because he's a liar and the father of lies. I've made some bad choices in my life. Several times, I've, there's been a few times where I've done some that were to the point that I lost things that were very important to me. And things I thought I would have in my life for the rest of my life. And I didn't because of some stupid choices where I chose to do what I wanted to in the moment instead of doing what I knew was right. And I still struggle sometimes with the feelings of, those, of regret and, and, and feeling like God's still angry with me. A while back when, I, back when I was reading this book, earlier this year I was also attending the men's, um, the men's small group on Tuesday mornings and I came in and, and I mentioned this book and I said one day that I, uh, that I was struggling with some thoughts about how God's angry with me. And that's a lie because this book talks about how you can get past the lie and find the truth. And, I, and Dave Wearsma afterwards stopped me and, 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 and Pastor Troy and he said, he said, I don't understand why people are always saying that's a lie if, that God's angry at them because sometimes God gets angry. And I'm like, you're right, he does. And I really didn't know the right answer. And that week, just a couple of days later, I was doing my quiet time and I was reading in Psalms in the book of Psalms, and in, in Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, it says this, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. See, the lie of Satan is God's still angry with me for something I did 20 years ago. And he still, he hates me because of it. And he's trying to find ways to punish me because of something that happened 20 years ago. But the truth of God's word is, his anger only lasts for a moment. His favor 
for a lifetime. If you're a parent, you've been there. Just recently, I was having a conversation with one of my sons, and we were just talking about all kind of memories of things that had happened. And he remembered a time where I got angry at him, and he got, he, I disciplined him because of something he did. And honestly, when he started talking about it, I didn't remember it. I couldn't even remember what he, the, the event. And then he started sharing more and more, and as he did, it finally came back to me, and I remembered it. And he actually said to me, he said, Dad, I just knew the thing that hurt me at that time is I knew you were so disappointed in me. And so it, it stuck with him through the years because it was one of those pivotal moments where he realized that he had done something that impacted our relationship. But for me, once it was over, it was over. I didn't even remember it. Why? Because I'm his father. And I'm not holding on to the bad things he did. I'm holding on to our relationship and who we are. And that's how God is. Satan wants you to think that God hates you. Satan wants you to think that God wants to hold you down. Satan wants you to believe that God wants what's worse for you and what's boring. But the truth is, God wants what's best for you. He wants you to have an abundant, a full, exciting, awesome life. He wants the very best possible for your life. And anything else is a lie out of hell. Because Satan is a liar. He knows how to twist the truth in a way to where it seems true. Again, Craig Groeschel said in this book, Winning the War in Your Mind, he said, a, a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. When you buy into the lies of Satan, it affects how you live. And there are a lot of lies out there. When I, was, when I was little, I played Little League Baseball for two years. I only played two years. I quit, actually, toward the end of the second year because I was just a terrible player. I was the worst player on the team, I thought. And, 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 and it felt that way because when I got to bat, I very rarely got a hit. I was always put in right field when I got to play because nobody ever hit to right field. But when they did... Many times, I missed the ball. And other kids teased me and talked about how I wasn't any good and I didn't need to be playing. I don't know why you're even on the team, and so I quit. And then in fifth grade, my teacher told my mom, you really ought to have DeWindle's eyes checked. So she took me to the eye doctor for the first time, and they gave me glasses. I was embarrassed at first, but they gave me these glasses. I walked into school, and all of a sudden, I could see people walking down the hall and know who they were. That had never happened in my life. Matter of fact, a couple of years ago, I had LASIK eye surgery, and so all of you, I can see. But prior to that, if I didn't have contacts or glasses, you would be blurry. Everybody here would be blurry. I wouldn't know who was here. I would just see a bunch of figures. My eyesight was terrible. And even as a kid, it was terrible. I could go into class. Prior to wearing glasses, I had to sit on the front row and squint just to read the chalkboard. Yeah, we had chalkboards. They weren't whiteboards. They weren't PowerPoints. It was a chalkboard get over it. It was great. And, but I had to squint on the front row to see it. All of a sudden with glasses, I could sit in the back row and be one of the cool kids and I could still read the book, the board. I never was a cool kid, but I could believe that with my glasses. It made a difference. See, in the beginning, and then a couple of years later, I began to play church league softball. And you know what I found out? 
I could see the ball before it got right here, so I could actually hit it. I could see the ball before it got right here, so I could actually catch it. I knew where to move to. I didn't realize before that everybody else could see the ball. I thought nobody could see it until it got five feet away. That makes a big difference. And when you're believing the lies of Satan, it makes a big difference how you're viewing it. Because the lies seem real until you figure out you're just looking through the wrong lens. He's a liar. And lastly, I want you to see, he is an enemy. He is a liar. But he is defeated. Someday he's going to be thrown with all of his demons into a lake of fire. And it's so certain, it's so guaranteed that it's already true. Yes, he's more powerful than we are in many ways. He's smarter than we are. But he's not smarter than God. He's not more powerful than the Holy Spirit. And we have that power in us. So we have a way to join in the defeat of Satan by getting rid of his lies. If we look in 1 Peter chapter 5 again that we read earlier, I want you to see first of all, though, before I read it, I want you to see that we must resist the lies of Satan. We must resist the lies of Satan. When Satan throws those lies at us, we have to be able to recognize them as lies and resist them, hold off from them, not let them affect who we are and what we're doing because his lies seem so real. But again, in 1 Peter chapter 5, if we go to verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 9, he says, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Resist him standing firm in the faith. How do we resist the, the lies of Satan? We stand firm in the faith. How do we stand firm in the faith? we got to know what we believe. If we're not spending time in the Word of God, if we're not spending time with other Christians, if we're not spending time learning who God is and how much he loves us, we have no weapon to go against Satan when he comes at us with his lies because they seem so true. But when we know the word of God, when we've studied, meditated on, memorized, and applied it to our lives, and he comes with those lies, we can immediately say, wait a minute, I know that's not true. And we can resist him because the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And Satan can't beat it. Going back to the story of Jesus when he was being tempted, what did he do? He quoted scripture. Why did he quote scripture? Because he knows scripture has the power to defeat Satan. The lie is always beat out by the truth. How did he quote scripture? Because he knew it. He had memorized it. He had studied it. If the only scripture you're getting is what you hear here on Sunday mornings, you're way, way, way behind. Because I promise you, you don't get near enough scripture here in a week to go against all the lies you're fed through the TV, movies, music, politicians, social media. Because I promise you, they're all lying to you in some way. And if you don't know the truth, you believe the lie. We have to resist 
the lie. Not only do we have to resist the lie, but we must remove the lies. We have to get rid of them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we want to remove the lies. We have to be able to, to get them out of our heads so that they're not affecting us anymore. In order to do that, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We're doing things a little different. Okay, We've got a God that's mightier than anything in this world. He says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary... I love this. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. When we use the word of God as a weapon, we have divine power to demolish the strongholds of Satan. And he goes on to say, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We have to replace the lie, or we have to remove the lies by demolishing the strongholds of Satan. How do we do that? We do that by walking with Christ. We do that by walking with God. We do that by understanding who he is, who his character is, so that we know his truth versus the lie of Satan. See, he's going he's to convince you. that thing, He's going to try to mess with you and lie to you no matter what side you take of something. See, if you, if you start getting tempted, we'll just throw something out to, to have an example, okay? There's a thousand things we could name. But just say you're being tempted to watch porn. He's going to say to you, it's no big deal. Everybody does it. Who cares? It's not going to hurt anything. Go ahead. Just join in. It's, it, it's not serious. And he's going to convince you that it's, it's just a minor thing. If you give in and watch the porn, then he's going to come at you and say, I can't believe you did that. You're worthless. God, does, How can God even love you when you're doing something this evil? No matter what side you take, Satan's going to lie to you to twist it. He's either going to try to convince you that sin's not a big deal, or he's going to try to convince you that God doesn't love you because you're a sinner. Both of those are lies. Sin hurts your relationship with God, but God loves you no matter what. So we have to remove that lie, get it out of our heads, get it out of our lives, demolish that stronghold of Satan with the word of God. And then thirdly, we must replace the lies. Not only do we have to resist it, not only do we have to remove it, but once we remove it, we've got to replace it with the truth. We've got to replace the lie with the truth. In 1 Peter 5.10 it says this, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. The God of all grace. And he says he's called you. That's so awesome. But after you've suffered a little while, see, Jesus promised us that there was going to be some pain involved. There's going to be some difficulties if you want to follow him. There's going to be a cross to bear. He says, but after a little while, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He's saying, you can restore yourself. You can be restored by the power of the Holy Spirit when you receive the truth of God's word and replace that lie with the truth. He then goes on in, in uh, I'm sorry, in, in 2 Corinthians 10, we read it a little bit earlier in verse 5. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How do we, how do we 
replace the lie with the truth. We take every thought that's there and we make it obedient to Christ. We find a way to make it fit God's word. And if it didn't, if it doesn't, then it's a lie. So we find the truth. Satan says to you that you're not loved. Then you go and find where the scripture tells you that God loves, that that God has love for every person that's ever been created. He tells you you're worthless. You go in and find all the different passages that talks about your worth to God. He tells you that because of something, because of something that happened to you years ago and somebody damaged you, that you're no longer worthy or usable, then you find where you are a product of God and he can restore every damage ever made. You replace the lie with a truth. Romans 12, 1 and 2, famous passage, it says this, and I'm going to end with this passage. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Catch this, guys. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Why? Because they're fed. Those patterns come from the lies of Satan. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do you know what God's will is? You have to allow your mind, you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You've got to clean it with the word of God. It has to be refreshed. If you go out in this muggy weather that we've been having lately and you go work outside for an hour or two, you're going to come in and you're going to be filthy. The dust from out there is going to cling to you. The sweat is going to cling to you. And you're going to walk in and you're going to feel filthy and dirty. But you go and climb in that shower and let that water come over you. And you take that soap and begin to rub it all over. And all of a sudden you step out and you feel clean. That's what happens when you learn the word of God and you allow it to renew your mind so that you can be transformed and replace those stupid lies with the glorious truth of God's grace and love.